You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. You can find me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Joined as always by Sean Martin, who you can find on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. Sean, how's it going? Hey, great to be back. Uh, great to actually have some you know position groups that we could talk about from OTAs that actually mean something. I know last week was kind of the foil of that, where it was all like, well, can you can we really read into this quite yet, and can we really evaluate this or that? So now we actually have some position groups where, you know, you don't want to read too much yet, of course. The pads haven't come on. Nobody's gone full speed, really, for any extended period of time. But yet, we still have something we can actually take away from the Cowboys doing real football activities on the field, which is always great. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like um, trying to place bets on a, a foal that was born. Uh, you know, just going down to the bookie. I, I want... I, I'm going to place some money on this foal that hasn't even been born yet it's gonna win the triple crown gotta go bet like turtle racing or something which is a thing but i've never seen it here it's almost like that only because of the limitations that they have with pads and hitting makes the trench groups a little more difficult to evaluate so you know we won't be doing that this week um instead on the hidden yardage podcast that you're listening to on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. We'll be taking a look at uh, just some of the other storylines from OTAs. Like this one that I found interesting was the talk of returner Cavante Turpin, who made the Pro Bowl in his own right as returner. But there was talk from Mike McCarthy during the, the media availability about how they're looking at Turpin in more offensive roles. Um, it, that really wasn't his forte last season, but now they're looking at adding a little bit more of Turpin on offense as part of, part of what McCarthy called his second-year jump. So do you think that the exploration of Turpin on offense is an actual unpacking of the player's potential? Or do you think that this is a total CYA move because they're midway through OTAs and realize, uh, maybe we don't have the weapons for Dak Prescott we thought we did? Well, I think Turpin is still you know, a long way from actually locking down any offensive snaps. You know, For now, Prescott does have those weapons that we're just impatiently waiting to see. But once training camp rolls around, you get to see you know, throws to Brandon Cooks. You get to see more of CDLM, of course. You get to see um, 
Michael Gallup, second year off of the ACL injury and what that means for him. All positive reports on him taking another step up as well. This year, the veteran Brandon Cooks, kind of that similar mold to Kevontae Turpin, not quite the speedster, but you can see him kind of running similar type of routes. Now, we spent a lot of time last week on the tight ends and how their routes are going to look and less of kind of that seam down the throw, Dalton Schultz type of throws, but more of kind of the same receiver drag routes and dump off throws into the flat. Those are uh, things that Turpin can compete for as well. So it is good that he's initially getting this work because he needs the longest kind of runway to go. You know, last year was all about just kind of keeping his body in shape, coming straight off of the USFL season and trying to take that all the way through the NFL playoffs and the amount of just pure football games he played in was something that we really have really never seen before. So now it is good that he's getting these early reps and potentially an edge up on the other receivers he's going to have to compete with because I do think in a Mike McCarthy, West Coast influenced offense, he can have a role. You know, we'll see what his route running and his confidence of Dak Prescott looks like. But if that comes together in any type of way where you can get him the ball in space, of course, we know what he can do with it. So I do see those same types of routes that we've been hammering the table about and talking about that Prescott's always been efficient on, those you know drag routes, some of the same stop routes that were in Kellen Moore's offense. If you can get the ball to Turpin in those situations, and he can definitely be a mainstay on this offensive side of the ball, whether that's as a realization that you didn't have enough and that's why he's getting the snaps, but he makes the most of it, or the better scenario, you, know, you find out you do have what you thought you were getting in Brandon Cooks and Gallup off the ACL, and you are a pretty set of receiver, but you still find a way even still to get the ball to Kevontae Turpin and make those game-changing plays that there just weren't enough of in Kellen Moore's offense. And if he's one guy that can give them to you, then they should be looking at it, not only in OTAs, but all the way through training camp, the preseason, and hopefully it carries over into game day. When you have someone like Brandon Cooks, you also have someone like Danny Amendola and Julian Edelman, who Cooks worked with in New England in 2017. Also in 2018, you know, you had Cooper Cup with the Rams. So if you can find sort of that uh, Wes Welker type of receiver, let's say, to it, it, it provides an effective complement to what Brandon Cooks is able to do. And also, um, McCarthy mentioned in that June 1st presser that he felt that they had added speed to their receiving core with Brandon Cooks and that they had existing speed with Cavante Turpin. Now, we'll see because he only had 62 offensive snaps all season. So there wasn't really anything he got in on. I mean, you know, three carries for 17 yards, a catch for nine yards. Wasn't a lot there for Turpin on offense, but it looks like they want him to be a part of their play on the perimeter and not just hang out and be on the depth chart and be spectacular in uh, on special teams, which he is. But let me put it in some parlance that maybe some of uh, the older Cowboys fans might understand. Sometimes Dwayne Harris has to catch passes too. 
That's right. And, you know, you mentioned Turpin lining up and receiver so far in OTAs, it's been mostly in the slot, which certainly seems to be the position that would suit him the most as far as not dealing with that physical coverage on the outside. So, yeah, get him running down the middle of the field, get him, you know, at least just running the same type of clear out routes and drawing defenders to him to potentially take the top off that could make easier throws to somebody else who's more experienced. I mean, that's the very least that we can ask from a speedster type receiver. That's the year one role that we thought Jalen Tolbert might have, and that didn't even come to fruition. So, you know, the idea that Tolbert now can maybe step into that role in year two is a year behind. They're asking even more from Tolbert already. They're trying to see if he can be, you know, a consistent receiver that makes plays on the ball, something we haven't seen at all. So there is still hope for him. Of course, there is the idea that, you know, they haven't added outside of Brandon Cooks enough at receiver to completely bury Jalen Tolbert on the depth chart. So the way they handled this offseason and went out there and drafted as well, not touching receiver until the seventh round, certainly shows that they want to continue to give Tolbert an opportunity. But if you could find just one of the two between Tolbert and Kevontae Turpin to be that type of guy that you thought you were getting at Tolbert last year and what that could have meant to the offense a year ago when you think about you know the 49ers playoff game loss and the way that D'Amico Ryan's defense really just kept a consistent pattern that we've seen in big losses for the Cowboys of late, and that's you know being able to put this offense in a box, basically. Put them within that 20, 30-yard box and clamp down and say, you know, the ball's not going over our head from here. So whether that's Tolbert or Turpin, it's something they desperately need to figure out. And if it could be both of them or a combination of it, you know that you're already getting special teams contributions from Turpin. So his spot is safe. So now with Julian Zale and Tolbert and a couple of these other guys as well, UDFAs we can talk about to uh, give them the type of speed that they know they already have on special teams. And it's fair play to them to try to get it on offense as well with Turpin running the receiver reps out of the slot. So are you including Jalen Tolbert uh, as part of the the speed um, for the Cowboys receiving core? Yeah, I would for now. I mean, certainly you have to prove a whole lot more than he did in his first year to get your name called on a deep ball and, you know, take that type of shot down the field. Maybe that'll change in McCarvey's offense as far as how willing they are to take those shots, but it was certainly something that was kind of locked in, in Kellen Moore's offense and most of the deep shots kind of felt forced heat check type throws from Prescott where it's like, hey, we need to move this offense. Where's CDLM? We're just going to go for this thing. So outside LM, you really have to own those opportunities and that's why Tolbert still has a long way to go. But yeah, I would include him just because that's what he did best on tape at South Alabama was kind of that clear out type of receiver, get on the safety in a hurry, run those big over routes. And if the ball wasn't going that way, it let somebody else get open was a big part of that offense there. But I'd also include David Durden, the UDFA out of West Florida. He uh, has some special teams return experience, so his speedster as well. And then Jalen Moreno-Copper, I know, is a UDFA that a lot of Cowboys fans are already familiar with and high on. He's out of Fresno State. We know the Cowboys have some good recent history getting players out of Fresno State. That would be Duran Bland, fifth-round pick, cornerback last year. But Jalen Moreno-Copper ran a 4-4, 40-yard combine, uh, a 40-yard dash at the combine. So some speed there in this UDFA class has been hyped up pretty well for the Cowboys as well. Certainly the baseline for Tolbert would be to be ahead of those guys who haven't even had their name called in the draft or done anything in the NFL yet. And then, like I said, it comes down to after that, getting some mix of Tolbert and Turpin to really be your speed guys outside of the main CDLM, Brandon Cooks, who already penciled slash penned into starting receiver roles. Well, the reason why I brought up Tolbert is because when... McCarthy was asked about uh, whether this is one of the fastest 
teams he's been around due to the speed they added in the offseason. He mentioned Cooks. He mentioned Turpin. He mentioned CeeDee Lamb. He mentioned Michael Gallup. He didn't mention Jalen Tolbert. You know, it stopped at Michael Gallup. So that's why I added that because it looks like in terms of the receiving core, those are your four guys. And, I mean, Tolbert may be in a battle with um, Moreno, Cropper, and some of those other undrafted free agents because he didn't crack Mike McCarthy's, you know, immediate answer of speed in the existing receiver core. Yeah, McCarthy's basically giving you, you know, the projected starters right now, and Tolbert is far from that. And like I said, he should be ahead of this UDFA class. If he's not selling that, then it's kind of, you know, on his own rookie season for not doing more there to already be ahead as a year two receiver. Receiver is always a position where you're going to have high turnover in the NFL. The Cowboys do it every year. They, you know, stack this position all through the offseason. You see guys make big plays in the preseason. It's like, how are we going to keep all these guys? And then it whittles itself down to who you expected it to all along. But yeah, we're going to see guys making plays and Tolbert needs to be a consistent, you know, name on that list. It can't just be one or two splash plays. And I think he knows that at this point. So yeah, he should have a leg up on some of these UDFAs, but on the flip side of that, these UDFAs shouldn't be looking at the depth chart like, man, you know, we came to the wrong team. They, this is already an established wide receiver room. You know, they know that they, that they can't take Lamb's spot or Gallup's spot or Cook's spot, but yeah, they should go look at Jalen Tolbert and say, okay, maybe we can push him, and then Tolbert can equally use that as motivation to say he's not going to get you know pushed off the roster by someone who just got here when he does have a year of experience, at least in the weight room and in the program and things like that, if you will. So, yeah, it is going to be a competition for Tolbert to really be a part of this offense, but just like the team hasn't given up on him by the, by way of you know not addressing receiver any earlier in the draft and not doing more than just a Brandon Cooks trade, I'm not giving up on the idea that he can use his speed to this team's advantage and really be a difference maker in at least some games this year. You know, We know about the schedule. We've all covered it ad nauseum. We know that how many, the amount of tough games you have in December, but where you're basically going to be playing a whole new offense than you were in September, right? So, yeah, they might start with not featuring Tolbert a whole lot, and we'll get to see the big three, and that'll be fine. But, yeah, come December when you need a different look, I would hope that, I, you know, Tolbert can be that guy, if not Turpin or any of these guys who, at this point, we won't be talking about UDFAs. So, you know, maybe one or two make the roster, but in December, you're not really looking for Jalen Moreno Cropper to make plays unless he's very established as a guy who, you know, stuck on the roster and turned heads and made a name for himself. So at that point, yeah, if Tolbert's going to be here, which we still expect he will, he could be a playmaker, and they're going to need every bit of that playmaking to make a deeper run into the playoffs this year as well. If Moreno Cropper is making plays in December <laughs> for the Cowboys... He's probably catching passes from, like, Will Greer. <laughs> that means that they are probably a four-win team... Yeah. By that point, and they're just seeing who would be an eligible candidate for a reserve future contract. Okay, because that's scary territory. Oh yeah. If Moreno Cropper is, you know, but I mean, it also can happen that they're just uh, good contributors. Um, but in general, across the NFL, 
when you see that they're playing younger guys like that, they're finally getting their chance. It's usually because the team is doomed and they're just trying to see uh, who they want to give reserve future contracts to. But overall, do you think that the vertical speed on the Cowboys has improved? Only marginally, I would say, because, you know, as much as it doesn't seem like it and everything we just discussed with Tolbert, he was here last year. You know, I'm trying to spin that as an advantage that he might have, but it's not a very big one when, when you can already talk about him being pushed by guys like Moreno Cropper. So, yeah, I think it's improved in the sense that, you know, only the only new element is Brandon Cooks and the potential for Kevante Turpin on offense. So that's really the only thing that's changed, and the rest of it is just hoping that Tolbert has a much bigger role. So, yeah, it's marginally improved. Um, and I do think that, you know, schematically on offense, you'll be able to improve some things where you can kind of loosen up a defense to take your shots over the top. And Kellen Moore's offense, it was more, you know, we noticed, but it was more stop routes and curls and that kind of set up the deep throw because once the defense was sitting on those short opportunities, you could then, you know, hit them on a double move if you had the protection or those types of things. And McCarvey's offense, kind of a similar way to set up those deep throws, but it'll be more hitting receivers on the run, I hope, and more kind of rollout type of throws. And so that can keep a defense on its toes more than, you know, these stop routes and then being able to take a deep shot. But if it's incomplete, it feels like the only deep shot they would take for, you know, an entire half or an entire game even. And then the defense could go right back to playing you in a, in a box or in a cell. So, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, more creative as far as how they use their vertical speed, but I would hope that creativity doesn't take the place of just flat out having game-breaking speed, which all these big contending teams do. You know, Miami with their receiving group and Buffalo has worked you know, tirelessly to give Josh Allen the speed to get on the end of these long throws, and you'll see both of those teams in December. So, yeah, I would hope it's more actually finding that you have the speed through training camp and the rest of these OTAs as opposed to just relying on, you know, smoke and mirrors to make the most of what the speed that you have is because it only has improved marginally. That is saying something, but there is room still to push us a whole lot further and get more speed for Dak Prescott to help out. And what I found interesting of what McCarthy said um, in his June 1st presser was he said that they're a turf team. They play on AstroTurf, which is funny because it goes back to Jason Garrett's grass stat um, going into wildcard weekend last postseason. Um, so he said, McCarthy, quote, so I think it, you know, the grass, I mean, the AstroTurf has to be a part of your outlook in personnel acquisition, unquote. So I, I, you know, when you look at what's happened with, Ezekiel Elliott, um, when you look at the commitment to Tony Pollard, who, of course, is in the best shape of his life, you know, um, and I, I think that, yeah, there's a total commitment to speed, not just vertical speed, but also lateral speed and just trying to find those angles and the quickness. Hono Lofke is going to take the top off of defenses. You heard it here first. All right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Wheel routes to Hono Lofke. Well, at least they are throwing 
those routes to Deuce Vaughn is another name we haven't mentioned yet who can give you something on speed. He's already being compared to, you know, Turpin as far as what would their roles look like in comparison to each other and can one kind of cancel out the other. So that's a good sign for Deuce Vaughn as another speed student we haven't mentioned. Yeah, and that's what they're really looking for is a versatility of roles, a crossover of roles in case, heaven forbid, you have some availability issues crop up. So that's partly why you see Turpin and Vaughn basically, uh, you know, copying roles. Because that's what you try to figure out in the laboratory of OTAs here. I think we're sleeping on what Vaughn could be as a running back, though. I mean, I see where the comparisons are coming from, but it feels like it's already getting blown out of proportion, which is like, oh, you can only keep one Vaughn or Turpin or the same player. Like, no, you know, Turpin's taking carries on end around, end around and fly sweeps and those types of things. I mean, Vaughn is a legitimate. You can put him in the backfield the same way you'd put either Tony Pollard or Ezekiel Elliott and get those same type of plays. I mean, he can he can run between the tackles. He proved that against top-end competition at Kansas State, and I think he's going to prove that again here in the NFL. So I do see where the comparisons are coming from. They're fair while everybody's running around in, you know, shorts and jerseys and no pads yet. So that that's another way that players can't distinguish themselves position-wise. But, yeah, once the pads come on and Turpin has those small pads and he's just doing returns and Vaughn has the big running back pads and is going between the tackles, I think you'll see that these are both players that have similarities that can help you, but also differences in the way that they'll both make the roster and, you know, both contribute in different ways that are helpful as well. Again, it just goes back to just kind of evaluating what everyone's skill set is right now. Because, you know, they had a... They had a place for Lucky Whitehead, too, you know, and that was his thing on the offense, at least, was the end arounds and the quick handoffs and so forth. But even though you had the commitment to Ezekiel Elliott, like you have with Tony Pollard now, there was still a place for Alfred Morris. So you're right in that just because they're kind of sharing roles now doesn't mean come September they'll be sharing roles on the 53-man roster. I mean, Vaughn's role, I think, is very defined, and so's Turpin's, and it's on special teams. So there really won't be a lot of crossover then. Right. You know, it's a thing where you want to talk about all these checkdown options, and I know I've kind of feel like I've harped on this too much, but you want to talk about who you can throw the ball to in this short to intermediate range. But isn't that just kind of falling in the same trap of, you know, like I've been saying, as far as the downfall of this offense, being able to put in a box or a cell and not having those over the top throws? It's like, well, where do you see the opportunity to scheme them? You know, we know the John Gruden quote, you'll never go broke taking a profit, referring to quarterbacks, you know, just fighting completions. And I think that is one of the biggest pluses of Dak Prescott's game. So we'll probably see oh, in the early season again, where the offense has always been at, at its best. We'll probably see that again as far as distributing the ball well and facilitating. But, you know, you talk about, do they have the vertical speed to take the shots down the field? They certainly do on paper right now. I'm more concerned about, you know, do they have the play calling and the sequencing to, you know, know when to take those shots and mix them in at the right times so where they're actually going to be successful. And that's where you get an even bigger divide between, you know, Turpin and a player like Deuce Vaughn. Because Vaughn could be more of your every down, you know, throw it to him out of the backfield. And 
defenses don't see it coming and things like that because they, they have to also respect the ability to hand the ball to him. Whereas, you know, a team sees Turpin coming on the field for five to ten snaps, it's easy to key in on, okay, he's going deep and we need to be ready for this. And he hasn't proven anything as an underneath receiver. This is just a speed guy to maybe open something else up underneath or throw it deep to him. So, you know, as far as package-wise, I think that's when we'll see if this team actually has the vertical speed or not. Because on paper, yeah, they got plenty of guys that can run. Maybe that's just an OTA, shorts and jerseys, overreaction, which they go, oh, everybody can run. That's all they're doing. It's a track practice. But, yeah, I do think they have plenty of guys that even once the pads come on and the physical tolls built up over the course of a long season, this team has some pretty good speed that we haven't quite seen in recent years. But do I know how to utilize it? That's the next big question for you know, McCarthy under all the pressure that we think he's under to make this offense work in just his first year as a play caller. And you could throw Brian Schottenheimer in there too. Do they know how to get the most out of the speed and make it work? Or are they going to just throw Kevontae Turpin and Deuce Vaughn in the same bucket and say, oh, they're both speedsters or gadget players and we don't see enough of them to make a difference? Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, speaking of pressure... That's what a lot of TV people are facing when they have to go out to Valley Ranch. Valley Ranch. When they have to go out to the Star for OTAs, and you know they're out there, and dang it, the Cowboys picked another trench player in the first round for the second year in a row. It's almost what the heck do we like? What do we talk about? The only first round pick. It's a a darn trench player again. So, you know, still there were more questions about Mozzie Smith, for goodness sakes. I mean, look, they can't put on pads till I think the fifth practice of training camp. Like how many notes and, and everything do you need to read through of this and that of Mozzie Smith? I mean... He can't even hit. He can't even pass rush, which is what Mike McCarthy said uh, there were glimpses of in on his film in Mich- at Michigan. But, I mean, really, it's netball on grass right now. Yeah, I kind of found it interesting to see them, you know, talking about Smith's pass rush. And it's not that he doesn't have upside there and he'll have, he'll have every chance to show it because he's a first-round pick and they get on the field and, all that we know, but you know, when it comes to pass rush, it's like, man, if I'm Oso Diggy Zero or Neville Gallimore or even some of these edge rushers and Parsons in there, it's like, wait a second, you're starting to infringe on on our territory just to because you have nothing else to talk about. It's like pass rush snaps are hard to come by. It's so competitive for this Cowboys team right now. They're so deep at that position, uh, probably one of the best in the league, really. And you know what they can deploy getting after quarterback. So. The idea that we're just so bored that we're already asking Smith, like, oh, how do you think you could contribute to the pass rush? I would take a big step back on that as far as, you know, sticking to what we thought we were getting in the first place of him, which is first and second down run defense, and then helping those other pass rushers, pass rushers like I mentioned, 
to help them get those one-on-one opportunities and favorable matchups, and they can get after the quarterback perhaps much better than, at least at this point, Smith can in year one. I'm not saying we won't see that upside at any point or that he won't affect the quarterback or they're not going to give him those opportunities, but I just found it interesting where it's like, well, we can't talk about run defense, so for now you're a pass rusher, and we're forgetting about just how good this team is in pass rush and kind of the path to get on the field for any pass rusher right now, even a first-round pick, is difficult. So let's go back to, you know, looking at Smith's path to the field is what we thought it was going to be, which is run defense, which is still on hold to see what that's going to look like. But, yeah, don't lose sight of Mozzie Smith. First and second down run defense is still, I think, the biggest role that he needs to anchor down and step into as opposed to getting carried away with, oh, well, maybe now he's going to be a pass rusher too and, you know, a defensive end or any of these crazy things that we might see from – a practice where you're not actually defending the run, which takes away what his best skill and overall trait is. And what's fascinating about Mozzie Smith, and we'll get into this a little bit more actually during the Cowboys' birthdays, but he's really this continuation of a quest that Mike McCarthy's been on since he came to the Cowboys of establish of finding that run stuffing defensive tackle or just that anchor along the interior because that's just kind of eluded them to this point that now they had to go out and spend a first round pick on one again first time since 1991 that the organization has done that but it's just a continuation of that. And I really think that's where the the comprehension of Mozzie Smith's role needs to be focused by the fan base. Is In some ways, this is Marcus Spears 2.0. Don't look at the sacks. Look at the collective rushing yards surrendered. That's where you want to focus. Look at first and second down efficiency um, for the defense. That's where you want to see. That's where you want to look if you want to see if Mozzie Smith is meeting the expectations. Yeah, I can't wait for some Eagles blog to, like, after the season, be like, the Cowboys used the first-round pick on defensive tackle and only had one sack or something. And I'm like, you know, we'll, we'll all scream back. That that wasn't the point. You, you're absolutely right about, you know, what his role is going to be and how much they value it now as far as a missing piece to this defense. I will say, you know, fans are warranted to be skeptical of kind of this pattern that the Cowboys have fallen into before where, you know, it's an alternating year-by-year thing as to why they haven't had the consistency to make the playoffs and win the division in those consecutive years because, you know, one year they're really good and then they kind of get overjoyed about how good they are and feel like they can fall back into more of the auxiliary pick type of territory in the draft. They're like, oh, this roster is a complete roster. We can just, you know, our finishing piece can be a defensive tackle or a running back as opposed to not realizing that they weren't as good off at another position that, you know, a key position, if you will, that they actually needed more reinforcements at, especially considering injuries and Things are good to sustain and all that. So, the Mozzie Smith pick feels a little bit like that, but also, you know, it is just such an important role that they've needed, and it is going to create those matchups for other players that they can really get the most out of. You know, Neville Gallimore is kind of a 
on the fence type of player? Is he going to have a future here? Well, his best opportunity to show that he can put his best football in front of him is with being paired with Marcus Smith on the inside. Same goes for Urso Digazua, who was on NFL.com's uh, list of breakout players along the league going into year three. So, you know, players like that, and you add in, you know, Dorrance Armstrong, you can rush from the A-gap in that stand-up type of position. We already know what it can mean for Parsons. So, yeah, the Smith pick is looked at as one that can unlock, you know, potential and even the best players that are already on this Cowboys defense. And then his own potential and upside as a pass rusher is something that we can see as well, you know, as time goes on. So it was a type of pick where, yeah, you do have to look at it from a total perspective on the defense. You do have the immediate need, though, which is always good for first-round pick, of course, of not defending the run well enough and having a team that's probably the best in the league at, def- at running the ball, physically at least, the 49ers at Kyle Sanahan. What they do in the run game is end of your season two years in a row, so you needed to address it. You need to, of course, deal with you know Jalen Hurts' QB sneak. The first time that Mozzie Smith touched down one of those will certainly be a Cowboys Twitter moment to uh, to take in, so I'm looking forward to that when the Cowboys and Eagles get together if it happens. So you look at Smith as far as what he means for the total of the defense. I know for first-round pick, that's usually not what we're used to talking about. We're used to talking about what they bring on their own right to that side of the ball. But this is what Smith can do, and you know I do think that Quinn is the right coordinator, of course, to get the most out of him. He's done the most for all of the Cowboys' defensive linemen since he's been here, and you throw that in the equation, it's the type of player that can win you the games without even realizing that you know he's the reason that you won a lot of games. Those third and long pass or situations for Parsons, or those third and long throws into coverage that Trayvon Diggs or Stephon Gilmore end up turning into interceptions. You know, go back and take a look at where Smith was either on that play or on the first or second down play that lost yardage or didn't gain yardage to make this defense just continue to be one of the best in the league. We haven't spoken enough about how remarkable it was that they led the NFL in turnovers two years in a row. That hasn't happened since like the 80s or 70s or something, I think, prior to them. So the way they were able to keep their turnover streak going was very impressive. It was a huge point of concern last offseason for, hey, if they're not getting turnovers, is this actually going to be a good defense or were they just hockey? And I mean, they were a good defense and continued to take the ball away. Can they do it for a third straight year? That'll be determined. But if they can't, if it does drop off a bit, do they have enough to just be a good stand-up defense, stop the run, get off the field, you know, the old-fashioned way, if you will, stop the run, force an incomplete pass, and get off the field? And that's exactly what Smith is going to help them do on a very consistent basis. Well, leading the NFL in takeaways is kind of arbitrary. I think this is really actually what's most impressive. They had consecutive 30-plus takeaway seasons. So for the past two years, they've been able to generate 30 takeaways at least. So I, I think that's really the best way to look at what Dan Quinn and the defense has been able to do. By the way, when everybody talks about a stand-up pass rusher and so forth, I, I just envision Jerry Seinfeld doing a <laughs> wide nine and being like, what's the deal with the shotgun formation? I can't get to him in time. Yeah, Maja Smith's not going to be the guy to uh, get many shotgun uh, snaps when the offense is in gun, unless it's Jalen Hurts running up the middle, like I said. Yeah, um, he, he's not going to have those types of opportunities. Um, speaking of consecutively leading in a category uh, for the um, thousandth year the Dallas Cowboys have <laughs> led Forbes's list of most profitable sports franchises 
Not in America. Not among the NFL. But in the world. And they looked at the operating revenue over the past three years. And for the Cowboys, it is $1.12 billion. Second place, New England Patriots with a little over $600 million. Uh, um, annually in looking at the three-year period of 2020 through 2022. So it begs the question, Sean, um, people say Jerry Jones is all about the money, but I got a question, which is more important to him, the money or the attention? What do you think? I think in a, in a lot of ways it's the attention because, you know, there was a, another Forbes list of just sports owners in, around the world in general and their value. And, of course, you know, the NFL falls behind some of these crazy soccer owners and international soccer and cricket teams from India and those types of things and owners that have multiple teams across all of those fronts. So, but Jerry was, you know, still the second-ranked NFL owner. He's only behind David Tepper of the Carolina Panthers in that sense. So, you know, he knows his place financially in, in the NFL and what that means. And he's well aware that the NFL, you know, is still king of American sports, but doesn't necessarily compare to the money that's in the international sports. So he knows his place financially in that way of, you know, he's, he's made, of course, what he, what he needs and what the organization's going to need and his family and that type of legacy. But, you know, the attention comes from that only in the sense of when you talk about it through the context of, like I said, American sports and the NFL, because as soon as you add the context to international sports or sports in general, you know, the Cowboys become a smaller blip on the radar. So he gets attention from just one piece of that, but in the grand scheme of where else he gets attention, it's, you know, in the season, he's doing media twice a week and going on the radio and giving us great stories and quotes on the fan and things like that. So I think it's the attention. He knows that the money is, you know, a warranted part of that attention that can't not be. It's when it's that high and when it's that, you know, noteworthy. It's going to be a story whether he kind of prefers that it would be or not. So the attention in general, I think, is what he cares about, whether his team is good, bad. He finds a way to keep them in the headlines. So that's something he's proud of, not only because it brings in an additional part of those financials that we talked about, that's part of the revenue as well in the way that people still care about this team no matter what's going on. But, yeah, because of that, that's all part of the attention that I think gets a little bit more of an edge in this question than uh, just the financials alone. So I know this question has been poised before is, does he care more about, you know, attention slash finance or the other side of that being, you know, winning football games, which is something we've already done and something that is kind of a non-starter in the sense that what they've done this offseason certainly shows that they're trying to win games all the way through, you know, drafting a defensive tackle in the first round. So does he care about winning that, put that aside for now and, separated into does he care about you know the attention or the money and certainly answers both in different ways but I would lean more into the attention that he gets from not only the money of it but just being an NFL owner that's still very public and still has America's team and everything that comes with the Cowboys being the forefront of you know signing that esports team things like that so all of that brings attention and I think he cares about more and I challenge your notion about the Cowboys in the NFL relative to sports worldwide because there are 13 of the most profitable franchises in that top 25 list were NFL teams. By the way, the entire NFC East was represented. Make of that what you will. But 
So 13 of the 25, that was the largest contingency. Uh, the NBA was second with sixth, and the English Premier League had four coming in third. Um, so I think the NFL is king worldwide. Well, I mean, I could see why in, in the sense of you know having those teams on there, but when you look at that owner's list as far as just the total revenue from those owners, it's not fair to say, you know, say that they only are getting the revenue and their net worth from the sports teams, which is what kind of convolutes this. But yeah, it just seems like a lot of the soccer owners and such also have it's like some other huge company that they're a part of or something else that's bringing in almost, you know, almost sports team revenue on top of it. So then they kind of double what their net worth is in that sense, whereas NFL owners, you know, built their wealth typically through something like that, but then they step away in some sense to just focus on the demands of being an NFL owner, which might be higher than where it is in some other sports. So that is why the NFL is king maybe as well, because, you know, their owners can be part of the story, if you will, part of the saga that, you know, when you start following your team, you have to know who the owner is because they're going to be public and talk about it to varying levels across the league, of course. But you're going to see what they say in the media more than, you know, a soccer fan might know what their owner is saying because they're busy running a, you know, fighter jet company or something. So that is part of how the NFL gets to where they are to have all those teams on the list, which is a great point to, to just show, you know, what their power is in the international sports scene. And I think that Jerry would take the attention over money and then I can prove it with this the third highest NFL team number six most profitable worldwide according to Forbes you wouldn't believe it if I told you and I'll give you one guess and no it's not the Dayton Triangles I give you one guess <laughs> Kent Bulldogs the Houston Texans the Houston Texans, who have been horrendous since uh, really the pandemic, okay? <laughs> they haven't recovered since then. And their number six worldwide. Into, so if it was about the money, you know, you might see more of that type of approach uh, from Jerry, you know, as it relates to how the Texans operate who really get hardly any media coverage. I mean, they're not even going to be in a primetime game <laughs> this year. So it's the attention. And I think now that I see that it's the attention, I'm going to have to adjust the the larger plan, if you will, of what's really going on with the Cowboys. I think that Jerry is trying to build and you you know and I'll meet you halfway in terms of NFL is king and whatever I said I'll meet you halfway with uh the soccer leagues I think Jerry may be trying to build a platform of the NFL that is so big that is so invasive in human consciousness worldwide. And at that point, at sort of a human consciousness singularity with the NFL, then you're going to, they'll win the Super Bowl. 
and then it'll be the biggest Super Bowl parade ever. That's how I think I'm going to adjust what my my outlook on what really goes on with the Cowboys on a day-to-day basis. Because if it's about the money, then they already got the money. I think it's about the attention. For a brief moment there, I thought you were going to say the master plan is for Jerry to own a soccer team. And for all the friends that have tried to get me into Premier League and failed at varying degrees, I, I can say I know a little bit about it, which is more than you know some people. But um, for all the friends that have really tried to get me into Premier League, I think that would be what finally does it. If I can wake up on Saturday morning and see Jerry on my TV you know, in a soccer box watching the Premier League game with British announcers and everything, that would be fun. So, yeah, I thought you were going to say he wants to uh, get into the world of soccer, but not quite. No, sorry, sorry, I blew it. All right, uh, let's go ahead and get the Cowboys' birthdays uh, before we get out of here, because uh, after all, only I can go over one minute, according to R.J. Ochoa, the managing editor. So on Tuesday, I'm going to give a shout out to his uh, Premier League team, which is I think uh, Man City. Yeah. So. Oh, are they losing? Man United. Yeah. Well, no. If I give him a shout, I'm going to earn my bonus minute, so we can go into a 47th. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, we'll need it. Uh, Tuesday, Bill Bates turned 62 years old. He was with the Cowboys from 1983 to 1997, won three Super Bowls, and uh, really was a great special teamer. On Thursday, Eli Anku, defensive tackle, turns 29, only played in 2020. And why I bring him up is he they traded for him from the Houston Texans because Dentari Poe, got injured, they needed a replacement, and that's what I'm talking about, is that's kind of the quest that they've been on, is trying to find reliable defensive tackle help. Saturday, you got two birthdays. Anthony Hitchens, the linebacker, he's there from 2014 to 2017, turns 31 years old. Then on Saturday, Dorrance Armstrong turns 26, been with the team since 2018 as a fourth-round pick. And those are your Cowboys' birthdays. Yeah, how weird was it as Cowboys fans to see the Chiefs basically turn, you know, the former two former Cowboys starters, Anthony Hitchens and Damian Wilson, to their starting linebacker core. And I think Spagnuolo was still the defensive coordinator for all of that, right? And, you know, Spagnuolo just takes two former Cowboys starters and makes a Super Bowl defense out of it. So that was always weird perspective-wise to see as the Cowboys fan. Hitchens, of course, probably – also still known for that 2014 play in the wildcard game against the Lions with the face mask, defensive pass interference that was picked up. I was kind of just coming up in, you know, radio and doing college stuff. And so that play alone led to plenty of uh, great rants and yelling and screaming type of things with, you know, Giants fans who felt like <laughs> the Lions should have won that game and things like that. So that's a, uh, I, don't, I don't want to call it a good memory, but that's just a memory of Anthony Hitchens. And I'm sure plenty of fans will still know, as well as the Cowboys made that playoff run of 14 and got to be a uh, Super Bowl participant with the Chiefs, Chiefs and then Dorrance Armstrong uh, flying the flag of Houston, Texas. is pretty cool to see here with the Cowboys and in line for an even bigger role here in the 23 season. And then before we get out of here, uh, tell us about some viewer mail, I mean listener mail that we have. Yeah, I got a message on socials from uh, Anthony Sakala. He is a... Uh, native of Virginia and went to New Hampshire, I believe. So East Coast guy, true and true, and sent me a message. Huge fan of blogging the boys and the work you guys do. He was actually in New Jersey for a wedding. So a pork roll on the menu in all caps immediately thought of you, uh, of you and Mark. So us here on Hidden Yardage and had to try it. So 
we're still working on getting you your first pork leg and cheese sandwich, but uh, our listener here, if that's all he took away from the show, hey, we'll take it and uh, got to try it at a wedding, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, shout out as well to the bride and groom and the wedding planning going on there for having that on the wedding menu. So respect that a lot as well. And he got to try it just from uh, listening to Hidden Yards podcast. You know, it's one of those things in football media where it's like, I'm sure, you, you know, my, my experience with this would have been, you know, when I got to come down to Dallas in 18 for the draft and get driven all around the AT&T Stadium area and through Arlington and see downtown Dallas where it's like you take a step back and realize how far you come. And I'm sure your moment has been like, how did I end up on this podcast with some Jersey dude just getting people to try sandwiches and all I want, you know, I've been covering football for a while and now all he wants to talk about is sandwiches. But hey, it worked because we got this guy, Anthony, to uh, give us a nice message and to try the sandwich as well. So Anthony, hope it was great. Hope we can get Mark uh, your sandwich soon as well. And uh, thanks for listening to us on here on Hidden Yards. Bro, I'm leaning into the the pork roll sandwich thing. I mean, you know, you got to. You can't, you know. <laughs> I'm not just going to be a like a chauvinist over Texas culture type of thing. I mean, you got something to add from Jersey, so let's talk about it. It's not Sopranos and Jersey Shore. <laughs> I mean, it's the like what real Jersey people, you know, experience. So I'm all about that. I feel like pork would go great on like a barbecue menu too. So if we could find somewhere in Texas that's pulling that off, that would be pretty great. Cause you know, it's already, you know, you get every type of smoked meat possible. Why not just add pork oil in a mix and see how it is. So that would be great. But yeah, if you want to try it authentically, you do it in New Jersey, which Anthony did. And, uh, and we'll, we'll be able to do for you at some point, whether that's going to a Cowboys giants game or what that may look like. All right. Well, you can follow Sean Martin at Sean Martin NFL. Follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane and subscribe to the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And next week's mini camp, can't wait for it. It'll actually be a little bit more substantive in terms of basketball on grass because they're kind of simulating just a training camp schedule. We'll cover it on the next Hidden Yardage podcast. So there it is. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.